liberal members of Congress, as well as uh, liberal groups, have been pressuring various different uh, cable companies, uh, uh, fiber optic companies, those who provide television services to the United States and the world. They've been pressuring them to remove uh, conservative networks, conservative networks like Fox News, uh, like uh, Newsmax, and like uh, One America News. Their issue is, is that we don't espouse, or those networks allow to be espoused a perspective with which they disagree, right? So in other words, they don't believe in free enterprise. They don't believe in freedom, liberty. They don't believe in traditional values. And they don't believe that that particular perspective ought to be voiced. They believe that it is dangerous. Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. Black leaders from Project 21 are demanding that cable news provider Verizon reinstate one American news on its television platform, accusing Verizon of doing a tremendous disservice to its subscribers, investors, and to free speech and silencing black voices. Here to discuss that on this episode is Craig Deleuze of Project 21. He is the founder of Uncommon Sense Media Group and more. He'll talk about Verizon's decision and tell us lots about Project 21 and this black conservative organization. And before we get to my interview with Craig Deleuze, we have a special segment of our weekly Future Shock 2.0 with Ira Wolf, who'll be hosting a live stream on LinkedIn and YouTube with the team from the Odeon Capital Conversations podcast. And we'll be talking about jobs, money and markets. Ira Wolf, welcome back to Future Shock 2.0. We've heard lots and lots over the years about the gig economy. Where is that today after we've come out of the COVID pandemic and where is it going? And this is really a story when you proposed this to me, I, I really had to do some homework on it. I thought I figured it out, did some research and realized that I'm not sure anybody's figured it out yet. Let's start with what a gig economy is. It's a system of temporary short-term or contract positions for which companies employ freelancers or contractors. You talked about an underground economy. When I hear underground, I think it's um, almost people being paid off the grid or maybe they're being paid through crypto or however it is. Um, but that probably fits under the big umbrella of the gig economy of, of anybody who's working part-time, second jobs. Uh, you had a really, really interesting episode just recently with, with, uh, Odeon Capital and they talked about the labor numbers. And a lot of, although we had this 500,000 plus new jobs that were created in July, uh, many of those were part-time jobs and many of those were people taking a second job. Those fit under the gig economy. But when I did some research to say, how big of a problem is this or how big of an opportunity is this? I guess, depending on which way you want to look at it, Pew Research had said that approximately 9% of the American workforce participated in gig work last year, less than 10%, but it did create 5.7% of our US GDP. So that's pretty significant uh, if we lost 5% of the GDP uh, because of that. So that's a significant part. Uh, but then I did some other research and I found that 16% of Americans have earned money from online gig, which doesn't make sense. If 9% is participating in gig work, now we're measuring it only online. And that would be through things like Upwork and Fiverr. Also interesting under that is 30% 
of the gig workers uh, using online services are Hispanic, 20% are Black, 19% are Asian, and only 12% are white. So is the gig economy a lift for the minorities? So uh, an opportunity there. But then I did a little more, more digging, and I came up with 59 million Americans are freelancing. That's one-third, 36% of the total American workforce. So we went from 9% to 16% to 36%. And another survey from ADP said at 40% of organizations, one in four workers are gig workers. Wow. Uh, so I think one of the challenges is when we talk about gig economy or we talk about these part-time jobs, hourly jobs, people taking second jobs, I'm not sure there's a really, I, I think everybody's measuring it. And a lot of these are from companies and obviously the data skewed from their data, uh, but it would be interesting. Uh, and maybe we can reach out to the Odeon Capital guys or some hyper economists to see, is there a better measure of that? My guess is no, because most things are tracked on payroll. It's either full-time or part-time. But I'm wondering, Ira, does some of what you've laid out there explain why it's hard to get workers in the traditional economy, as it were, that workers in the gig or underground are not kind of listed as working? Yeah, John, we've been doing this too long. You're reading my mind. We just had a conversation about this, and there's a shift. Uh, there was a white paper that was just released, and they talked about the shift from people hiring people for jobs. And you hire a person for a job, they have a skill set. Maybe they're maybe they're good at data. Maybe they're good with people. Maybe they're, they have healthcare skills, or they got sales skills, whatever it might be. But they may bring other skills that it's table. One of the things that the gig economy, especially the online gig economy did, it allowed people that they may be making a primary living one place, but they had other skills. So you could be a physician, but all of a sudden you said, you know, I love doing graphic arts. I love writing. And you can go and sell those skills somewhere else. So the switch that is happening is we're based on a job culture, a job infrastructure. And we need to be more based on a skill infrastructure. You need to hire people for skills, but that completely disrupts how we pay people. And it, it, and it disrupts how the government classifies workers, that you hire a person, they work for 40 hours, you have a job description, they have certain skills, and we're saying, well, what if they? we only need that person for 10 hours a week? We only need this skill set, but they can work for three or four other companies using the skill sets that they're good at that other companies need. We're just not set up for that. So this is a real disruption. I want to go back. One thing is also when we look at gig workers, it's also a very local geographic phenomenon. Florida has the highest concentration of gig workers, probably because you can go there. It's you know good climate and you can, and you can live there. So you can live anywhere and work anywhere. So 22% of, of workers in the state are doing gig work in Florida. Uh, in California, it's 20%. Texas is 18%. Illinois, it's 18%. So there's some big numbers there, but there's other areas of the country where it's a very small percentage. Yeah, you got the DoorDash drivers and, and Uber drivers, but that's that's really about it. Yeah, it's like everything else is we, we have to talk about geography and locale when we're talking about this because it's it's not necessarily a nationwide phenomena or that's significant in every one of those areas. And as you just heard earlier, Ira Wolf will be hosting a live stream with Jason Cochran along with 
Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstein of Audion Capital Group, who you can catch every week on the top-rated Audion Capital Conversations podcast with yours truly. I'll also be on the live stream. The live stream is going to take place on Wednesday, September 7th at 10.30 a.m. New York time. That's ET. And it will be available on LinkedIn and YouTube The topic is jobs, money and markets. So Ira's Future Shock 2.0 segment on this episode was most timely. Catch the live stream on jobs, money and markets next Wednesday, September the 7th at 10.30am with the team from the Odeon Capital Conversations podcast. Email us for more details, burndesk at gmail.com we'll send you all the login information and Ira Wolf's live stream next Wednesday is part of his highly rated Geeks, Geezers and Googleization podcast we keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people my guest is Craig Deleuze. He is a member of Project 21. He is a successful media executive and professional, as well as a political activist. And he's here to talk about the recent decision by Verizon to drop one American news from its television platform. Project 21 wants one American news reinstated. Craig will explain why. He will first talk to me about the conservative issues generally in the black community and the wider community and about the conservative organization known as Project 21. Verizon did not respond to our request for comment. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Craig Deleuze, welcome to my show. It is a pleasure to be here, sir. We have a lot to talk about. There's a controversial thing going on right now uh, with a conservative-leaning show. It has been deplatformed from a major telecommunications provider, and your group, Project 21, has taken a strong position on that. We'll get to it in a moment. What's going on with Project 21 at the moment besides all that? There's so many issues. We've had a, just a lot of turmoil in our society the past two years. It seems quiet at the moment, but when things are quiet, they seem to flare up again. Uh, take us through what's going on. Well, you know, we're in a day and age right now where there's a lot of conversation, uh, not just here in the United States, States, but around the world, and in terms of a conversation involving race and culture. And uh, there is a big push, a big movement by the the social justice uh, warriors, the social justice theory uh, community uh, that want to push a narrative uh, that is highly destructive to our way of life uh, here in the United States. And it's largely based on a lie and misinformation and pretending like people of color, in particular black people, uh, we like we all have one perspective like we they want to they want to communicate that all of us believe that America is racist uh, and that we haven't done any better than we're no better off now than we were when the when the slaves were initially freed uh, that we're you know, we're all left wing, uh, you know, socialist, dem- democratic socialists uh, seeking to undermine and overthrow the American judicial system, educational system, uh, cultures and values. And that simply is not the case. Project 21 uh, is an organization that exists to 
allow uh, African-American conservatives in particular uh, to be able to uh, who whatever their field field of human endeavor, whether whether they are businessmen or women, whether they are academics, attorneys, economists, uh, media voices, but to be able to express uh, our values, our concerns and our perspectives on the issues impacting uh, our community, impacting our country and impacting our world uh, and doing it from a perspective that is very, very different than the mainstream media and uh, academia uh, would have you believe that we represent. And so uh, lately, especially once again, post-George Floyd and everything that's been going on, Project 21 has gone out of their way to make sure that this alternative voice of, uh, of the Black community is heard, uh, in particular, throughout media. Let me pick you up on that. Um, so we've had this critical race theory um, going through our educational system and being pushed um, by some college professors and pundits out there. And you've got the famous or infamous 1619 Project. So there's all these years and buzzwords and theories and they sort of landed on our plates so suddenly. But where is all of this coming from at this juncture? Why in the past couple of years? It seems quite intense. First of all, understand that critical race theory is not, it's not something that is new. It has existed in academia uh, for decades. Uh, really started, I believe it was in the 1960s, 1970s. Uh, and it came out of this idea of looking at a different perspective, looking at American history, in particular, the African-American experience here in these United States from a different perspective. Now, sounds innocent. Uh, sounds like, okay, well, you know, let's take a look at that. But in reality, what it's turned into, it's turned into a lot of it has a lot of critical race theory comes from social justice theory. Uh, social justice theory uh, gets a lot of what it, it gets from postmodernism. Postmodernism gets a lot of what it believes and a lot of its context from Marxism. So it's really about this. It's about uh, looking at the world from an oppressor oppressed relationship, meaning in society, there are the oppressors and the oppressed. And that the in order to create true social justice in a society, the oppressor must be overthrown in order to allow the oppressed to be able to realize their fullest potential. Now, for Marx, that was that was the the ruling class versus the working man or the, the proletariat uh, versus the bourgeoisie, right? But in, but in critical race theory, that has changed in terms of now it's now race. So in critical race theory, it's white people versus black people or people of color. And therefore, if you are white under critical race theory, you are an oppressor. Whether you believe you are or not, you are. That's what they believe. Uh, you are racist, whether you believe you are or not. Whether you've done anything racist or no matter how you treat Black people, in their eyes, you are racist. If you are Black, you are oppressed. You are being kept down by systemic racism. And they say systemic because they're, they want to believe that, well, white people control the government, the business, and academia. So therefore, they've taken their racism and they've infused it into those institutions. And so... Now, through those institutions, even if you are not blatantly racist, racist, 
you are now through those institutions keeping those keeping keeping black people down. And by the way, if you are a black person who happens to be successful, meaning you've gone to college, you own your own business, you're doing successful, whatever, that's because uh, that's because you have uh, you're because of your proximity to whiteness, you have chosen to be and act and and you chosen to be and act more white. Therefore, that is why you are successful. And if, by the way, you happen to believe that it was because you worked hard, because you 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 believed in the American dream, and you believe that it because in America you have the ability to achieve these things, then well, you inter- internalized uh, the racism that has been instituted against you. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's that's great. It's very interesting to hear this from you because you are a successful member of the black community. And I'm just looking at your bio. I I have to read some of this out and just to give people an idea of where you've come from and what you represent. You're the founder of the Uncommon Sense Media Group. Uh, I've been in media for 30 years, political advocacy, political analysis and grassroots activism. You're president and CEO of 2A News Corporation spokesperson for the California Republican Assembly. And you're also, besides all that, um, you have a number of other media activities you're doing. You have um, Morning Coffee with Craig, uh, and that's C-R-A-T-V. And then you have a bunch of podcasts you're doing. You you have a, pod, a podcast with your twin brother. You're, In other words, you're extremely busy by the sounds of things, content, happy, and getting on with your life. Life is not bad and and getting you down but there are a lot of discontented people out there craig and maybe in your own community no i mean are there discontented black people who say what everything craig says is absolutely ridiculous well i'll tell you it's funny so i have a twin brother he is uh, uh very active in uh in democratic politics he uh he currently is an appointee of the governor of california uh, Gavin Newsom. Uh, he's been active in the NAACP and whatnot. I still recall, and what's, what's, what's hilarious about, the, about, about our relationship is we've been talking and debating politics uh, for decades here in the Sacramento region. And uh, he, I, I will sit and I will listen to him talk about how oppressed he is. And I'm like, look, bro, you make more <laughs> money than I do. You live in a nicer neighborhood in a bigger house. If you are what oppressed is, how can I be oppressed? Right. Living the American dream. And yet in his mind, he is oppressed by this American system. But that's how crazy it is. Look in Hollywood and in academia. You have people you have. You just had on the the the, I think it was the Video Music Awards. You just had a multimillionaire get up and talk about how a, a singer talk about how oppressed she is. I'm like, once again. If being oppressed means I get to be on national TV making millions of dollars as, as in, in my opinion, not a very good singer, um, pass some oppression my way. <laughs> well, I think they've confused or misspelled the word. These, some of these oppressed people may actually be depressed. <laughs> there you go. There <laughs> you go. Be That's actually what's going impressed. on. <laughs> no, but, but but Craig, you raised an interesting point because uh, when I look around too, uh, some of the leadership, and this is not a personal condemnation of the trappings of wealth, but they are wealthy. God bless them, however they made it. Hopefully, it was honestly made under the free enterprise system. But if you look now at a lot of the grassroots support for the Republican Party in America, some of the poorest of the poor have joined the Republican Party. Flyover country and um, 
struggling middle class people. Is there some truth to that? Oh, most definitely. It's what we, what we've started to notice in the Republican Party is the Republican Party has very much been uh, become more the working the working man's party. When people think of um, of Republicans, or at least the way Democrats want to portray, it, they want to say, "Oh, well, that's the party of big corporations." But the reality is, big corporations give money. They don't give money right or left. They give money to whomever is in power. And in many of your larger states, like California, which is where I live, those are Democrats. I mean, that's who's getting corporate money. You look at who's running many of these corporate boards. Look at some of the the. And I, I, this is a, one of the most overused words in our in our times right now. But look at the woke policies that are coming out of many corporations and businesses and media enterprises. They're all being run by the left. But when you start talking about who's supporting the the, the small businessman, when Corona, when when you had play, people like Gavin Newsom and and uh, and Andrew Cuomo who were shutting down small businesses, it was the Republican Party that was standing up and fighting and saying these businesses need to be able to be open so that they don't so that they aren't shut down forever, right? The jobs that 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 are being lost, the, it's Republicans who are fighting for those jobs. The big corporations they got exemptions by a lot of these Democrats in order to be able to stay open, so no jobs were really lost there. And people yeah. more and more are starting to understand that Republicans are about we don't want a government to tell us what to do and how to live our lives. Yet on the Democratic side, they believe in there's it's the between the corporates and the the academic elites. They believe that they are smarter than us. They know better how to spend our money. They know better how to raise our children. They know better about our medical decisions than we do. And people are starting to recognize that about the, about the Democratic Party. And many of them, Latinos is a great example. I mean, it's now a 50-50 split in the Latino community between Republicans and Democrats. That is a direct making of the Democratic Party, once again, fighting against the common person. What are the demographics here? You know, you mentioned the Latino community and so the black population. Last time I looked, it's about 14 or 15 percent of the U.S. population. Would that be roughly correct? It's about, yeah, it's about 14, about 14 percent of the overall population in the United States. And so if you were to look at that, Craig, how does that break out? I mean, middle, what percentage of that are doing well, middle class? What, what percentage maybe are falling below the poverty line? How does that compare, let's say, with the I, rest of the population? What I can tell you is that under Donald Trump, there was a massive movement uh, into and, and moving up within the middle class uh, under Donald Trump, we started to see an increase in Black-owned businesses. We started to see an increase in African-American home ownership. We saw, for, we saw one, for one of the first times, we saw family income actually go up across the board, but also for African-Americans. And by the way, that was one of the things that was so astounding about the work that Donald Trump did or while, while he was president, because yes, all, the, the rising tide lifted all ships, and that included black people. Under Barack Obama, even when things got better in general, they generally did not get better for African Americans. What is the the overriding issue, I suppose, that um, is of has to be addressed with the black community? To me, I've spoken to people about this topic, and um, people from the world of um, sociology to politics, and they they keep coming back to this notion of the breakdown of the black family in the 1960s 
Now, if that is correct, I see that also now happening among white families and probably has been for the last decade or two decades because of the misuse or the, the poor administration or pick your word of the welfare system. Well, I mean, that is part of it. Part of it is also the devaluing of fatherhood and men. Um, there has been this push within the modern feminist movement that is, has gone beyond just empowering women, but almost to the hatred of men. And the point of the hatred of men is, is historically uh, men or fathers have been the, the, the foundation or the beginning of, of the family, not just the black family, but the family in general. Uh, there has been a move to remove that individual, remove him from the family, because once again, when you go back and you understand postmodernism and postmodernism, Marxism, and by the way, critical race theory and social justice theory, they want to destroy institutions, all right? Institutions, including the church. They want to destroy the, 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 the academia. They want to destroy the criminal justice system. They want to destroy the government. They want to destroy the family. Well, here's what they realize. When, when, the, when, the, when the father is displaced, the mother will be replaced. I mean, they both be replaced, and then the children will wind up displaced. It, it, is a, it is a way in which for them to tear down the family. And, and it's not just done in, in the 1960s. Part of it was social welfare. The government became the father to many children, right? Meaning yeah. they became the provider uh, for those children. They became the moral discipline for those children. It's funny, if you look at study after study, it'll tell you the best environment, when you have the best environment, I'm not saying it's always perfect, but the best environment for children is a mother, father, intact family, right? Best environment. And when you look at whether it's drug abuse, whether it is high, whether it's high school dropout, whether it is incarceration rates, whether it is growing up in poverty or living in poverty as an adult, those who grow up in an impact to parent household on average do much better than those who don't. But it, but, but, but that's not exactly what they want because once again, they want the government to be the parent. They're going through these school food feeding programs. They want you to get your kids in school as early as possible, as young as possible for as long of the day as possible. And they want them to become dependent on the government by feeding them every meal they're going to eat for the day. At the same time, they also want to instruct them on morals, right? They want to tell you what a man and a woman it really is in their eyes. They want to tell you about what is racism and, and who they believe and deem in their eyes are in fact racist. Uh, once again, they want to instill all of these things. The government wants to, wants to be the moral leader in the, with, uh, with this next generation, they want to indoctrinate them, not educate them. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! <laughs> Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. 
probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the app. My guest is Craig Deleuze. He is a member of Project 21. He is a successful media executive and professional, as well as a political activist. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. The government is sort of becoming the so-called nanny state. It's becoming almost the the new church, replacing the traditional church, replacing the traditional family. And we see the consequences of that all around us. And it's shocking, as you said, intact families are, are a great way to keep a society together and prosper. Are there any grievances particular to the black community that we may be missing here? Do you have anything, any more well, I mean, civil rights I, I, issues I left? understand that, you know, I, th- I think it's important, and this goes back to the idea of not ignoring our history. I mean, let's just be honest. Uh, black people in this country started off uh, 150 years after, uh, after most people here in the United States. I mean, we went through, between Jim Crow and, uh, and slavery, about 400 years of oppression. It's really only been since the 1960s, uh, once the, the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, where Black people were equal under the law here in these United States. That, 60 years may sound like a long time, yeah. but uh, to give you an example, I was born, I'm part of the first generation born equal under the law here in these United States. Yeah. Now, that means that in many, many ways, in many, many areas, culturally, socioeconomically, economically, we started off behind, meaning we are not caught up. So in many cases for people to say, oh, well, that's all over with now. Everything is okay. No, that's like saying, well, I'm going to start the race. I'm going to, I'm going to basically, I'm going to hobble you at the, at the, at the starting line, right? I'm going to take out your ankle and then I'm going to take off. And finally, when you get up and you start running, now we're going to call it a fair race because now you're finally up and running. No, that's not the case. But what we have to recognize is the steps that we have made as a society to level that playing field and, and, and work to try and make sure that we're doing that, that we're giving people an equal opportunity to be able to live and achieve that American dream. I'm not saying that we're going to have equal outcomes because we're just not. Because guess what? We're not equal people, right? We're not the same people. You're different than I am. So... And by the way, I'm not every black person. Not every black person is going to achieve uh, more than me. Not every black person is going to achieve less than me. Not all of them are going to achieve what I achieve, but we need to to do what we can to make sure that everyone is given the opportunity uh, to to achieve that American dream and where we can create a level playing field without tearing down other people and discriminating against other people, we need to look to where we can, in fact, do that. That's a legitimate thing. That's a legitimate thing that we need to to look at. We also need to understand, and this goes with the kind of the concept of implicit bias. We also need to understand that we all prejudge, right? We see someone, we see how they're dressed. We see, are they overweight? Are they in shape? We see, are they clean shaven? Are they not clean shaven? And yes, we even look at race and we make a prejudgment, right? Now, the question is, do we allow that prejudgment to be the sole determiner of how we interact with other individuals, right? If we do, well, then we've got a problem, right? Because there may be things, there's things that we know or may not know about that particular individual uh, that feeds into or helps us to understand 
why they look the way they look, you know, the, the things that we're seeing or we're hearing. Yeah. They have taken that to say all people are racist. And that's just not the truth. Yeah. Right. We have to be honest that we all prejudge, but not everybody prejudges based on race. No, I, I feel America overall is basically a decent society and the average person wants to get along with his or her neighbor. That's been my experience since I've come to this country, this beautiful country of America. Um, but to listen to the fights and battles going on in the media, you, you get in a, a completely different picture. It, it well, distorts it really. Well, it's because they're trying to push a narrative. Hmm. And uh, the goal of their narrative is, once again, these are people who honestly believe they're doing the, the right thing. These are people who've been indoctrinated into the social justice uh, theory way of looking at the United States. Like, like I, our form of government, our economic system is completely and utterly horrible because it's not fair. And the, when they say fair, they believe it should be fair because they believe everything should have an equal outcome. Yeah. Well, once again, it's not about equal outcome. It's about equal opportunity. It's about creating the opportunity for everyone to be able to achieve and be the best them that they can be. And that is exactly what America is. You have a greater opportunity to go from no education to a doctorate here in the United States than you do anywhere in the world. To go from poverty to wealth within a generation, once again, more than any other place in the entire world. But what their problem is, well, everyone doesn't do that, so it must not be fair. And by the way, their idea, idea of fair, even they recognize they can't get everybody up to here, up to this level. So rather than get everyone up to this level, they're going to bring these folks down to this level. So we are going to all be equally as uneducated, all equally as depressed, all equally as poor. Tell us about Project 21. Okay, well, like I said, Project 21 was, was born out of the idea that there are differing perspectives. There are different perspectives uh, on America uh, here in these United States, that there are people who recognize that the value of, uh, of uh, hard work, the value of seeking opportunity, uh, is uh, that America is a blessing, that we be that believe in traditional family values, that believe in limited government, uh, that believe in lower taxation, that believe that uh, individuals have individuals have rights. We believe in individual rights and individual responsibility, uh, and and empowering uh, whether it's media, academia, or business, or the church to be able to uh, allow people with those differing perspectives to be heard. Yeah, so it's like a pro-family, pro-traditional uh, values, and. Um... I guess pro free enterprise and all yes. of that and less of less of the government interference. I had a leader from Project 21 on my show in the past month. It's got to be 2 years ago now. Horace Cooper, he was fascinating and equally in, intriguing like you are. Um the latest flashpoint is the uncancel you want this platform to restore uh, the one American News on its television platform. One American News is a conservative news program. It's it's available out there, but this prominent platform cancelled it basically. And you're saying mm -hmm. because of pressure from left-leaning groups. And if this is not 
checked and re- and reversed mm. it could have horrible consequences for other conservative outlets in america yes so Ver- verizon well first of all let's take a step back so uh liberal members of congress as well as uh liberal groups have been pressuring various different uh cable companies uh, uh fiber optic companies those who provide television services uh, to the to the to the to the United States and the world, they've been pressuring them to remove uh, conservative networks, conservative networks like Fox News, uh, like uh, Newsmax, and like uh, One America News. Uh, and their 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 issue is is that we don't espouse or those those networks allow to be espoused a perspective with which they disagree. Right. So in other words, they don't believe in free enterprise. They don't believe in freedom, liberty. They don't believe in traditional values. And they don't believe that that particular perspective ought to be voiced. They believe that it is dangerous. Right. So what has happened is you had Verizon's Fios network uh, has uh, caved in and they've actually removed uh, one America news network from their platform. Now, it's just one platform. It's not even the largest platform. The problem is this. It's the camel's nose under the tent. So if they if they, if they get rid of One News Network, that then opens the door for uh, AT&T, for Hulu, for uh, Xfinity or Comcast, for other, other providers of television service to then de-platform, de-platform One News Network. And now not just the platform One News Network, but then to go after a Fox News or a News or a Newsmax in order to make sure that this perspective can't our perspective cannot be heard. And when I say our, I I want you to understand uh, Project 21 has had representation uh, on a regular basis out there talking about the things, the very things that you and I are talking about today. Uh, And there are a lot of people out there who don't want that perspective out there. Uh, we've been on Fox News. We've been on One America News Network. We've been on Newsmax. But in I want I, I can't even say how long it's been. You almost never hear any of us, any of this perspective from Black conservatives from Project Twenty One. I think we've had one person on CNN, Fox News, uh, ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNBC. None of them will allow Black conservatives on their network to make sure that there is a, once again, a diaspora of voices representing the black community. So by getting rid of One News, One America News Network, you put at risk the opportunity for uh, that diverse perspective on all networks. So what reason did Verizon give you for deplatforming One America News? That, you know, basically they're saying, well, it's all just a part of our negotiation with One America News Network. We, this, this happens often, but it, no, it doesn't. And in particular, it doesn't in an environment right now where, you know, this cancer culture environment where uh, they're working to, you've got, whether it's Twitter, you've got Google, you've got YouTube, you've got Facebook, all seeking to de-platform uh, center-right uh, communications. Uh, I think in, in cases like that, in particular, it's incumbent for them to, to work something out and uh, get this network back on track. Um, you don't believe what they said is credible. It doesn't. It doesn't add up. No, it, it doesn't add up because you, you see these sort of tactics used all the time in terms of negotiating. They're saying, "Well, you may lose this network. Well, you may lose this network," but it almost you almost never. I've never seen it where you actually lost the network. 
Mm. Um, and once again, now what you're talking about is you're talking about a network that represents uh, a minority voice, when I say, you know, or at least a non-mainstream voice, or basically which means non-liberal voice, uh, uh, here in these United States. And, and they need to be very, it's not like this is just a, a, a music network or, or a, a cars network or something like that. This is a news and information network. And it's vitally important that, uh, that their perspective be allowed to be heard by uh, Verizon customers. I'm trying to picture where Verizon is heaviest, where their biggest markets are. They're big in the New York area, correct? I think also in the California region. Yes, yes. In certain urban areas in California, they are they're, they're, they're a little bit larger, yes. And the reason I bring that up is that they are liberal bastions. Well, exactly. But even within those, like I give you an example, in California, um, there are more Republicans in California than there are in any other state in the country. Now, mm-hmm. there are just happen to also be twice as many Democrats as there are Republicans in California. Yeah. But it gives you a perspective of how big California is and how big an audience uh, there is for uh, some sort of alternative perspective on the on news and uh, events of the day. I'm kind of shocked with Verizon. I will reach out to them for a comment. This is a, a popular um, One American News is a popular programming, great content. I went up on their website, just great, compelling information that anybody would want to get. And I, I, I don't know why Verizon would be anyways uh, uneasy about it. Um, you had a lot of uh, signatures to your petition from the black community. A lot of prominent people, including yourself. You had uh, Project 21 Chairman Horace Cooper, Stacey Washington, of course, she's a host on Cyrus XM Satellite Radio, Alveda King, founder of Speak for Life. I, I had the pleasure of meeting Alveda King um, a couple of years ago when she came to our parish in Morris County, New Jersey. I actually had the pleasure of driving her to the event. Um, if you talking to her, tell her I said hello, haven't spoken to her for a, a few years. Uh, she's niece of Doctor of the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Star Parker, president of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, Julian Biken, um, Reverend Albert Sampson, and so on and so forth. All these big names. Hopefully that might help persuade Verizon to ha- rethink what they've done. Well, I, I'm hoping that it will. You know, a lot of this is being done under the guise of, well, they're a, a, they're a biased, uh, you know, they're a biased uh, n- extremist network with extremist views. And my perspective has always been this. It, it, well, unfortunately, we've gotten to a day and age where there are there are very few, if any, uh, unbiased or not or totally straight down the middle objective uh, news media outlets. They're just they just don't exist. But. If you compare what goes on on OAN to what goes on at MSNBC, uh, I mean, we're talking pound for pound. MSNBC is 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 equally, if not more, extremist uh, than anything that is on OAN. Uh, that is on OAN. Uh, my point being is that we deserve all perspectives need to not don't just deserve to be heard; they need to be heard. Rights are a dangerous thing, right? I, I will just tell you this. And the freedom of speech is a dangerous thing because guess what? It gives you the right to say what you believe, even if I disagree with it. Me not liking what you have to say does not is not sufficient reason enough for me to not 
to for me to shut you down and not allow you to say it. Craig Deleuze, we're going to watch this. We're going to see if Verizon has a change of heart and does the decent thing and restores One American News. And we'll report it if it does. And we'll catch up again. Thank you for being on my show. It was a pleasure. I look forward to hopefully coming on again one day. You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the U.S. at 973-529-4699. That's 973-529-4699. Email burndesk at gmail.com. That's burndesk, B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com burndesk at gmail.com. Subscribe for free.